Welcome to Open Studio, Conversations on Art, brought to you by Graves and Mallet Art Solutions. I'm your co-host, Denise Mallet. In this podcast, my partner, Leslie Graves, and I explore the amazing world of visual arts through the lens of art lovers just like you. By sharing extraordinary stories, conversations, and interviews with artists, collectors, gallery owners, curators, and more, all of whom have embraced the visual arts by changing lives to establishing legacies, as well as building world-renowned collections. Today on Open Studio, Leslie and I have a conversation with Nettie Seabrooks, consultant to the Manoogian Foundation at the Detroit Institute of Art, former deputy mayor of the city of Detroit and philanthropist extraordinaire. Nettie's engaging conversation and enthusiasm had us hanging on her every word as she shared her climb to corporate America, earning a master's degree in art history at the age of 70, and the intricate role she played in the birth of the DIA's General Motors Center for African American Art. What an interview we have in store for you when we return. So welcome back to all of our listeners to Open Studio Conversations on Art. Today, Leslie and I are sitting down with uh, the amazing Nettie Seabrooks. And it is an absolute pleasure to be in, I think she's brought us into the secret back door to the Detroit Institute of Arts so that we can have this conference room to chat and talk and learn so much about her uh, amazing career. She's a self-proclaimed uh, failure in retirement. So <laughs> from there, I think you can see that we, we got a, a wonderful day of uh, interesting history that uh, Leslie's going to start us off with before we get into just asking a ton of questions. Leslie? So glad to see you, Nettie, today. And, you know, in reading about you and crossing paths with you for many, many years, I know you have a distinguished 31-year career in corporate America and you were a leader in the Mayor Archer administration, first as deputy mayor and then as chief operating officer. And then at a time when most people would have simply chosen retirement, you joined the Detroit Institute of Arts, this world-class museum in 2002, as senior associate to the former museum director, Grand Bill, before becoming chief operating officer. And now, and what, what, is it, true to say semi-retirement, you're continuing to work in, what capacity would you describe to our listeners? Actually, I'm a consultant for the Manoogian Foundation. I'm based at the, at the DIA and I'm an advisor or an assistant or whatever you want to call it to the chairman of the board. I want to give you the backstory though of how all this happened. It's all been very serendipitous. Being African American and graduating from high school in 1951 and going to college, I, uh, you know, we did. I just didn't have. We didn't have a lot of options back then. I majored in chemistry because I loved chemistry. But when I graduated with a degree in chemistry and a minor in math and German and physics, four years later, I couldn't get a job. No one would hire me. 
So I went back to my major professor. I was panicked, and I said, what am I going to do? He said, I guarantee you, Nettie, if you get a master's in library science and become a chemical librarian, you will get a job. So I went to the University of Michigan, got this master's, you know, took all the, the, I got the master's in library science and took the chemical research course and all that, and actually started off right across the street from the DIA in the main public library in the technology department. Uh, that would have been in 1957. And uh, I stayed there for two years. And then, uh, as life happens, I got married, and my husband was going to medical school uh, at Meharry in Nashville, and they didn't need chemical librarians in Nashville, so I taught at Tennessee mm -hmm. State for four years. Wow. And um, uh, in, the, in, in the midst of the four years, had, had, had two children, and actually, when, when we came back in 1962, I was supposed to go back to the public library. And um, uh, my husband was interning and, and uh, preparing to take a residency at the medical center, you know, and the hours were terrible, you know, yes. 36 on, 12 off, and all that. And a friend of ours said, gosh, it would, I just heard about a job opening in a library at General Motors. It would be great if Nettie could do that. And um, my son, believe it or not, was, I just had him, he was two weeks old when I applied for the job. He was two months old when I started it. Wow. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, okay? Nice. And so I started off in a library at General Motors, uh, the public relations library, which was co the corporate library for GM, uh, as a librarian, and four years later, the the librarian left and they promoted me and I became head of that library and then a few years later they added an another one. I was transferred to the government staff and picked up the government unit, the government research unit. And then in the mid-80s uh, actually had a real career change within the corporation and I won't give you all the, the details, but it, I became the Director of Government Affairs for all of North American passenger car platforms. Well, I, you know, let's see, I did that for a few years, and then Dennis Archer and, and all of, you know, he was, he was part of all of my friend, all of our friends and everything. He was on Supreme Court, and he said one day, I want to talk to you about something, and I said, all right, fine. And he wanted to talk about resigning from the court and running for the mayor. And I thought that was not a real smart idea because, you know, to be African-American and to be on the Michigan Supreme Court, I thought he was at the zenith of his career. That's I knew, I had known Dennis when he was still teaching school before he ever went to law school, okay? So I said, being polite, I said, well, you know, if there's anything I can ever do for you, let me know. Well, he... I became involved in his campaign, and I sort of became the the uh, policy person. I love public policy, and um, one thing led to another, and um, he ran a very very good campaign. And I remember the day before the election, a couple years later, he said to me, he said, "I want you to ask General Motors for an unpaid leave." We're going to win this election tomorrow, and I want you to run my transition. I said, Dennis, you know, first off, I didn't want to do it. And the second thing was, I said, General Motors, you know, that, that's a huge, huge decision for them to make, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, to cut to the chase, General Motors said, yes, we think that would be a good idea. They gave me a two-month leave after the day after the election. Instead of going back to my office, I started trying to form a, form a government. Wow. And then a couple months, a couple, a, about a month or so later, he came back to me and he says, I would like you to be deputy mayor. And I said, what? No. <laughs> well, he said, no, no, no. Okay. So he talked me into it. And that's how I became deputy mayor. Wow. And, um, but I tell you, um, it, 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 government is, I love public policy. Politics is not my cup of tea, or mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just put it that way, okay? Yes. I had 23 departments reporting to me. One of them uh, was the Detroit Institute of Arts. I had all the cultural institutions. I had cable. I had Kobo. I had, I had a gang of other things. And uh, by, the, by, by the middle of the second term, I was so frustrated, I thought, you have to put something else in your life besides this crazy job. And that's why I said, okay, I'll start another master's degree. Wow. And uh, this time, I, I took it in um, uh, art history. Because I love the sweep of history. I don't like the way history is taught with all wars and dates and stuff, but I love the sweep of history. And so I, I, I was so old, I didn't even think they would let me in. You know, I didn't think they would accept me. And they did accept me conditionally. And so I said, well, what's the condition? They said, well, your German is so old, you're going to have to requalify in German. And I said, well, let me tell you, I didn't like German 30 years ago. I'm never spending another year studying it. And they said, well, you can, you can do it in French. So I learned how to read French. Wow. Before I started my classes, I wanted to get that out of the way. And then I started my classes, and I, I took that degree. And then, you know, I, I did the two terms with Dennis. And I so thought, you worked on a master's in art history while you were oh in yeah, the sure. Archer administration? Sure, sure. And so, and actually, believe it or not, the, the grades I got were better. I, with the exception of one A minus, I got all A's. <laughs> and... At any rate, deputy mayor and excellent A student. <laughs> anyway, and I loved it so much that if Wayne, I took that degree in Wayne, if Wayne had had a PhD program in art history, I would have gone on for a PhD. Wow. I loved it so much. But the closest program was the University of Michigan, and I had neither the time nor the energy. But by this time, I'm in my seventies to to you know run to Ann Arbor every day. So anyway, uh, to con so I. I I said, I, I said to Dennis, I'm only going to do two terms. I didn't know what I was going to do after that. Well, the board of the, of the DIA said, would you be interested in coming to the DIA? And I thought, yes, I wasn't ready to hang it up, you know. And so it, it, this has all been serendipitous my whole life, yes. you know. So anyway, um, I came as senior associate to the director. The director didn't know what I was going to do. The board didn't know what I was going to do, and I didn't know. But it, it, within a few months, and they were in this big, big reorganization and reconstruction and all that, it was clear that it needed a firm hand, okay? And they came back to me and they said, would you be COO of the DIA? Everybody in the museum except the D of the um, director reporting to you. And I said, all right, I can do that. And so that's, you know, that happened like in, I don't know, 2003, I guess. And I did that uh, uh, for a few years, and then um, uh, I became 
uh, after that all finished, I became executive advisor or something to the director. And then I retired a few years ago. And that's when Manugian uh, and Jean Gargaro came and said, would you be a consultant for it? Would you stay at the museum and be a consultant and work with me as, as chairman? And so that's that's the story. That's the timeline. What time a line. story! That's an incredible story. <laughs> what a story! And so, like, but I say it's all been serendipitous. None of it was planned. You know, being African American in the fifties and sixties, you you couldn't plan and say, oh, another thing that I did. Um, when I a few a couple three years after I came here, uh, uh, the museum had a consultant from Stanford. Uh, who would come and, and advise them on things. And, you know, and I met him and would be in the meetings. And and one day he called me and said, would you be willing to come to the Stanford Business School and lecture to my students? And I said, sure, because my, my son and my grandkids lived out, out in San Francisco, out in the Bay Area. And I thought, great, I can go see them. Sure. So I started doing that. And, and I remember the first time I did it, he took me, we went to dinner the first evening, and I said, now you're going to have to tell me. He said, he said, do you want to lecture or do you want to have a conversation? I said, well, since I don't understand what, what you know, what you really want me to talk about, I think we better have a conversation. <laughs> so, so that's what I would do, uh, and and you know, these were graduate students in the business school at Stanford, and I did that. I don't know for four, five, six years, wow. and. Um, I think it's because um, I had the business experience, I had the government experience, and um, it, it, I, I would start off just lecturing, but after a, a time or two, I got so, I would make the whole thing Q&A because they, they had all kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. And one question they would, they would say, like, they said, who, who was your mentor? I said, excuse me, I'm a black woman in the biggest corporation in the world, who in the world is going to mentor me? I said, I, I was making it up as I went along. You know, and so anyway, I did that for five or six years and then the, the, the professor retired and, and so I, I don't do that anymore. But, but that's my story. That's what just a simple story. story. Oh my God, we could end the interview there, but we're not. I mean, it's just, it's so much, it's so packed. Gosh, where do we start from here? I mean, it's, but as I say, it's been serendipitous. None of it was planned. Yes. Well, well, I I wanted to segue and just you know just note that the DIA is a crown jewel of the city, but with a difficult history, would you say? And I know that you set out to achieve some goals once you got here, uh, and there have been active efforts to for more inclusion and representation. Um, do you think those goals have been achieved? Well, let me, let me tell you, first off, um, as African Americans, our struggle has been to survive, okay? And the, the whole, the, the museum industry um, has, 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 is coming from a different place, particularly fine arts museums. And the, and the DIA began in the late 1880s when, when shortly after Metropolitan Museum, the MFA Museum of Fine Arts in Boston um, 
the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston, I think, was later. But 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 wealthy people got together and and cultured people and all that kind of thing. Well, you know, it, we didn't have a part in that. We we, we were we, we were struggling, as I say, to survive. And so and and you know, museums, these great museums, were built to be to look like cathedrals, in my view. You know, to be yes. intimidating and all that kind of thing. And so 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 their role was different. And and so they've been kind of struggling to catch up. I can tell you about the DIA, that the best thing that has happened to the DIA is our director, the new director that we got in 2015, Salvador Salard Pons. He is fabulous, and he is genuine. Not, and not only is Salvador a scholar, you know, his PhD thesis was published in, in Spain, then it was published in Italy. Then when he came over here and started working in Texas, he got an, a, an MBA at SMU, so he understands how to run a business. Mm -hmm. But but his, what you see is what you get. He goes everywhere, and, and he's the inspiration behind this Detroit Collects exhibition. It was his idea, and he's been he's been buying. Uh, aside from that, he's been buying African American art. He's been. He's, he's just been fabulous. He really has. Now that you brought up Detroit Collects, which Denise and I had the pleasure of seeing with our extended family, and we are coming back yes. uh, during the holidays with more extended family to see oh, it again. Good. Yes. Tell us why that exhibition is important. Can I back up? I, I, I want to tell you a couple of more details about me that might Please. interest you. First, oh, yeah. first off, um, I started collecting African-American art. Well, let me go back to, to even when I was with the city. Uh, uh, you know, I, was, I, I had friends at General Motors, you know, and General Motors at the time moved down to the Renaissance Center, was right across the street. And a friend of mine, Rod Gillum, who was the vice president of, I think, Community Affairs or something, he had been on the legal staff, he called me one day and he said, Nettie, I'm looking for an idea for the GM Foundation. And I said, um, and he said, I don't really, I can't really describe it. I don't really know what I what I want. And and I said, you want something elegant, don't you, Rod? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, as I sit here, I can't, I, I can't, I, I, nothing comes to mind. But but let me think about it. So a few months later, I got a call from the vice chair of the board, who was, who was an officer at Masco, and she said, Nettie, this was when Graham Beale had just come in 1990 nine or eight or something like that. And she said, Graham has an idea that he would like to run by a couple of people. She said, would you come to a meeting at Masco? And I said, yeah, sure. So I went out and, and the two other people were Ed Littlejohn, who was on the legal staff at Wayne State University, and Walt Evans, you know, big collector. Yes, you know. yes, yes. And so the idea was that Graham was proposing starting a GM, a center for African American art at the DIA. Mm. That's what he was going to, and it was going to be based on the Yale Center for British Art. Okay, and so they went around, they went around the room, and, they, and they said, said, Ed said, "Oh, it's a great idea," and 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 Walt said, "Oh, it's a wonderful idea," and they came to me, and I said, "Yes, it is a wonderful idea, but as it is, it's just an idea." Now my mind went back to my conversation mm -hmm. with with Rod. I said, I think when it gets announced, it should be announced as being funded. 
and I think if you give me a day or two, I can find the money for you. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I think I can find some money for you. And they said, how much? I said, I don't know, pick a number, $5 million. Went back to my office, called Rod Gill. I said, Rod, I think I've got your project for you. Wow. He's, and so I, he said, what is it? And, he, and I gave him a sentence or two. He said, Nettie, we've got to meet right away. We met. He said, have Graham call me. And that's how the GM Center, the General Motors Center for African American Art, got funded and got announced as the GM Center. Um, okay, I'm going to let us take a pause and keep our listeners on edge with this conversation of what's next. What an amazing story. And when we return, we'll talk a little bit more about that, wrap it up, and then we'll segue and talk about the Detroit Collects Project. Stay tuned. So welcome back to our open studio conversation on art listeners. Wow, we are still sitting here with Nettie Seabrooks and we are just getting a wealth of knowledge off the mic. So we had to get the mic back on so we could continue the conversation. Uh, we left off with you giving us a little more details about the birth of the, G- oh, General, the General Motors, Motors Center. Yes, yes, for African American art. And we researched it, we've researched it, and w- w- it's as far as we have been able to find, the DIA is the only place, the only fine arts museum in the country, much less the world, that has a department of African American art with its own curator. Wow. We are truly blazing trails here in Detroit. So, gosh, so I'll segue into the current exhibition that's in place yes. where you, I, I, I want to do that, but I also want to get, so you can start thinking about it. We want to talk about your collection. We want to talk about the importance of, I mean, I, I don't want to, I just want to set you up for all of that, let but me, it's so amazing. Let me say, I don't have much of a collection anymore because yeah, important. Eight, about eight years ago, I gave 80 to 90% of my collection of African American Mm -hmm. art to the DIA. I did it for a couple of reasons. One, because in my work with the DIA, I realized that African American artists, they they were not getting the scholarship Mm -hmm. that other artists were getting. And the other point was that I wanted to be an example to other African-American collectors. We have to understand, this museum was principally built by people giving from their collection. And so I wanted to be an example of what we as African-Americans should be thinking about doing in terms of making the museum even greater and, and in terms of diversity and, 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 and you know the whole, the whole nine yards. That's wonderful, that's wonderful. So- that, that, that's such a statement because I recall being in a room with Granville and he said, Nettie gives blood. <laughs> <laughs> so you've given most of your collection to the DIA. In your conversations, though, with colleagues, friends, uh, the many groups, the many boards you serve on, are you sharing that message? Are you encouraging people individually to donate? No, I have not done that. I've been somewhat self-conscious about that. I think I thought my approach has been that hopefully by them knowing what I did, they could, you know, they're intelligent people. They they could use it as an example, and hopefully the exhibition now will help people to understand 
the, the, the dimension, you know, how many collectors there are and, and what we should be doing, you know, mm -hmm. to kind of hold up our end, you know, in terms of, of, of for, for future generations, for our children okay. and grandchildren. I'll tell you a story. Last year, I, I have a, two grandkids who live in the Bay Area in California, and they came to spend some time with me just before Christmas last year. And um, I, one, they're at Stanford. In fact, one of them now has graduated, and the other's a junior. And when I, uh, when I brought them to the DIA, my collection actually was up. The, the whole thing was up. And the wonderful thing was, I remember my granddaughter saying, Grandma, I remember seeing that in your living room. You know, yes. it was just wonderful that they, they could identify this, the art. That's wonderful. Gosh, what a legacy to leave for generations to come, as you said. Well, we have to think about who's coming behind us, That's you right. know? That's right. So, so now I'm Detroit all collect. Yeah, no, I think that next is... Gosh, what do you think, Leslie? What questions? <laughs> it's so I'm many. still trying to catch my breath. I'm still trying to catch my breath. So, um, as I indicated, Denise and I have seen the exhibition. We're bringing family uh, after, during the holiday. And just sum up, and I know you've touched on it already, but to our listeners, why is this so important at this time? Well, you know, when I walked into the collection, the exhibition for the first time, I found that the exhibition itself is stunning. It's a lot more than, you know, when they told me about it, and, you know, and I said, yeah, you can take a couple of pieces. You know, it's, it's a lot more than what I thought it was going to be. It's stunning. And in fact, I have suggested, and the museum has agreed now, to video the whole exhibition I did, I was so concerned, I didn't want it to go away. You know, I know that, you know, they, they were taking a lot of pictures, but I wanted it as a whole, where we can, like, use it to go take it to school kids, you Absolutely. know, and, and, and all that. I just, I didn't want it to go away. And so it is now going to be videoed. And seniors that might not and have seniors, the exactly right. or the yes, ability to yes, see it. I think that's yes. a marvelous way to share it. This way. just came up in the past couple of days. Yeah. Yes. And it's it's up through March first. No, it's just been extended. It hasn't been announced yet, but I think it's going to be up a couple more weeks. Wonderful. I'm not announcing it, you know, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So an inside scoop to our listeners. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. To mid, I would say mid March. So any advice that you would give to a a aspiring collector or a young collector or not necessarily young in age, but just a, a new collector. Um, the thing, the thing is to, uh, you know, we've got art galleries here in the city, you know, the George Nanamnit Gallery, the, the, the forgive me, I'm, I have an old brain. Uh, there, there are galleries downtown, um, the, the one on Washington, either Library Street. There's one on Library Street, but then there's one on either Washington Boulevard or, 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 or David or, Klein. David Klein, Klein. that's the one. Yeah, that's right. Go to gallery, look at art. I buy art very quickly. If it hits me and it means something to me, if it doesn't, then, then I, I let it alone. I don't buy art just to buy it, and I don't buy it like, oh, I'm investing. No. For one thing, I don't have the resources to just invest in art. No, I buy it because it means something to me. And um, uh, I look forward to, you know, I, I have a few pieces left, and uh, I look forward to, like, giving one or two to each one of my grandkids, yeah, you know, that's wonderful. 
and uh, then they will connect it with me, but more so they will learn how to live with art, yes. you know? So and so I think that's important. We, we need to train our children, and I know as African Americans, most of us, it's, it's, we're just trying to survive, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, just learning about art and just looking at it and not trying to figure out what was the artist trying to, to convey in the thing. What does it mean to me? That that that's that's what that's it's all about, mm -hmm. and in fact, as 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 a, as a philosophy for the museum, and in terms of of our docents and in and in when they do conduct tours, we we use what the, we call visual thinking strategies. We don't when kids when we bring in classes and you know, all those children you saw, we don't say what was the artist trying to do in that. No, we say, what do you see in that? Yeah. What does that mean to you? That's that's the important thing. Yes, and with the the absence of art in the grade school curriculums now, I think it's more important than ever that our children be exposed to art. And that's why in our visual you know, art. Uh, the the our, our work with Wayne Oakland and Macomb County, and 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 now with the Millage having the opportunity to provide transportation because that's the biggest impediment. Right. Teachers don't have money for transportation. We provide the transportation to bring the kids into the museum. And, and, and on Thursdays, today, today is Thursday, last I looked, uh, we, we do it for seniors. We bring senior groups in, too, to, so that seniors can, can have programs. And, and then we have all kinds, you know, of art-making programs. You know, we have a whole education department and all that. So, so that's why you see these ads on TV saying the DIA is the leader in education because we're doing all the things, you know, art has, has just like music and lots of things are no longer available in, mm -hmm. in, in lots of schools. And so what we're doing, we're trying to fill this void. We're trying that's to right. fill the gap. And you're doing an exceptional job of it, I mm -hmm. might say, yeah, from, my, from my perch. Thank you. Marvelous. So I haven't done a good job of answering your questions. <laughs> oh, you've done an amazing job. We've been so lucky uh, to have you with us today. Gosh, Leslie, is there anything else you want to... I want the movie rights to your life. Oh. That's right. <laughs> what a story to tell. People have asked me about it. They say you should write a book. Writing a book would take a lot of energy. And, and right now, I, I would rather use my energy on this, on what I'm doing. That's I don't want to write a book. I... I, I I just want to keep on doing this for a while. For well, we're so fortunate to have you as our podcast guest today. And so we, our listeners can know the depth and length and extraordinary accomplishments mm -hmm. that you have made to this community. Uh, we're just so delighted to have you. Bless your heart. Did you have any other questions about the exhibition or anything that you wanted to ask? Is there did anything I we didn't cover? Because I think no. you did an exceptional Yes. Oh, thank you so no. much. Thank Just you for encourage, your encourage your listeners to, to attend the, the, the exhibition and really see, uh, and, 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 and as you know, in the exhibition, aside from the art, there are, there are panels where the, the, each collector, there are 19 collectors, and each collector, I think I have the fewest, I have two pieces, some of them have more, many more, talks about what it means yes. to them to collect. And, and so read the, if, they, if the visitors 
you know, kind of read the panels, and and you've got nineteen different stories. That's you right, know. and it's worth it. It's worth and the quote quotes that are suspended from the ceiling. That's I thought right. That was very yes. striking. Yes, yes. Right. yes, and the design of the show is is very engaging. You know, yes. it really great. is. It's not just blunt walls with art up on it. You know, it, it's all meant to provide an experience. Yes, and and what an experience it is. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you for your wisdom, your your commitment to the city. Thank you for your generosity with your time today and just over the years. Oh, bless you. We look, we look forward to many more things coming from uh, Nettie Seabrooks uh, as Detroit continues to grow. Oh, bless your heart. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for coming thank in. You. Thank you. We would like to thank all our Open Studio sponsors. A special shout-out to Stuart Skaggs and Kevin Crosby for the original music score they so generously provide for this podcast. And today's guest, Nettie Seabrooks. We invite you to check out our next episode of Open Studio when Graves and Mallet have the pleasure of hosting art, creators, and lovers just like you. Follow us on social media and visit our website at gravesmallet.art to learn more about our services, podcasts, and latest blogs. Until our next conversation, keep loving art.